Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever found yourself in a struggle? Got issues? Got problems? Struggling, right? You got a job. You thought it was a good job, but you find out you're losing your job. Or maybe you got a job, but you can't stand your job, and uh, you can't find another job. Or maybe you got a job, but it's not enough to pay the bills. Or maybe your families are struggling, your kids are struggling, parents are struggling, churches are struggling, people struggle, do we not? Amen. Well, here in Colossians chapter 2, the great apostle Paul himself is involved in a struggle. But it may not be the kind of struggle we normally think about. We find it here in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit. Father, now please move in this sermon. Speak the words you want to say. Prepare our hearts to receive it. Glorify Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a struggle? Paul did. And he says here, I'm laboring. I'm striving. I'm crying out to God. I'm struggling. Paul is probably writing this as a prisoner from Rome. But he's not struggling for himself. Paul is struggling on behalf of others. Paul has a great burden for the church. He started a lot of them. And here he says he's struggling for the church at Colossae, a church he didn't start. In fact, he's never been there. But he's laboring on their behalf. Put him down for the struggle. How in the world can you do agonizing work for people in one town when you're stuck in another? It's not that hard, is it? Anybody here ever have kids? You know what I mean, right? They got a curfew for 11 o'clock. It's 12 o'clock. They're still not home. Their cell phone has died. It's 12.30, still not home. 1 o'clock, still not home. 1.30, they finally walk into the door, and you think, yeah, they're going to die, all right? Or maybe... You have teenagers, and they've gone to a friend's house, and uh, everything is cool. Everything is going well. You think it's fine, and then you get a phone call from the police. Your son or your daughter has been in a car accident, and you need to rush to the hospital in Louisville. They're in one town. You're in another, but your heart is racing. You're struggling in prayer, and your mind and your thoughts are are with them. 
Anybody here ever been in the military? Married to somebody in the military? Have parents or kids who were in the military? And they're overseas. And uh, they're not in the safest place that they can be. It's a hot spot. And you find out that there has been some conflict and shooting and some people have gotten killed. And you know your husband or your wife is there, but you haven't heard anything yet back yet. You're in a struggle. Your heart is there. Your mind is there. Your thoughts are there. And if you're a Christian, your prayers are there. In order to struggle on behalf of others, you need two things. One is you need to really care about them. You see, if you just watch the news and somebody was in a car accident, it's like, yeah, I hate that for them. But it's not like, oh, man, what's going on? i got to find out, right? you got to really care about them. Usually you know them and they're important to you. And second thing, you got to truly believe that God answers prayer. You see, if you truly believe that God answers prayer, when somebody that you love is in a struggle, you're going to cry out to God. And you're not simply going to say, it kind of like we asked the blessing, we can't remember whether we prayed for it or not, then we start eating, like, did we pray or did we not? No, when your kids are hurting or where your family's hurting, or your parents are hurting, or your loved one is hurting, you are crying out to God because you believe God can do something. You believe that our God is a God who answers prayer. How many of you believe that our God is a God who still answers prayer? All right, good. I'm in the right place today. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person can accomplish much. So I challenge you, I encourage you, cry out to God on behalf of those that you love. And we all need it, right? I need it, you need it, everybody needs God's work in their lives. And life can change just like that. Circumstances can be amazing. Everything can be incredible. But then you get that phone call. You've got cancer. Or someone you love has had a massive stroke or a major heart attack. And all of a sudden, life has changed. The Bible says that Elijah prayed for, and it didn't rain, for three and a half years. Can you imagine that? Three and a half years, it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and it did rain. I don't think God is calling us today to pray fervently and passionately for a drought, okay? Not physically. And I don't know that God is even calling us to pray fervently and passionately for for rain if it hasn't rained in three weeks. But I do think God is calling us to pray for a raining down of the Holy Spirit in revival upon God's people. Because God wants to do a work inside the people of God for His glory. Priscilla Schreier said this, If I were your enemy, I'd seek to dim your passion, dull your interest in spiritual things, dampen your belief in God's ability and His personal concern for you. 
and convince you that the hope you've lost is never coming back is probably just a lie to begin with. Listen, we have an enemy out there who wants to discourage you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to bring you down. He wants you to think that God could never really do anything in my circumstance. God could never change things in my life. God can never do what needs to be done in my family, and I'm just going to quit. Listen, God is not calling you to quit. God is calling you to cry out to Him, trusting Him, waiting upon Him, believing in Him because He is God. Jesus told about a woman who came up to an unrighteous judge wanting to get justice done for her. And this unrighteous judge did not care a lick about justice. He did not care anything about helping this woman out. But the woman would not leave the judge alone. Let's contemporize that just a little bit. Is that a word? Let's make that into contemporary life. Let's suppose we had a judge in E-Town. And he was not a good guy. But you had a need. And everywhere he went, you would find out where he was going. He's going to Walmart. I'm going to show up at Walmart. I'm going to ask him about my case. He's going to Starbucks. I'm going to Starbucks. I'm going to ask him about my case. He's going to Kroger. I'm going to Kroger. I'm going to ask him about my case. Everywhere he goes, there you are. After a while, the judge finally gives up and says, okay, leave me alone. That's the idea here. This judge does not really want to help this woman out. But Jesus said because of her persistence, he does. And then Jesus says, how much more does God not want to hear the prayers of those of us who are his children who love him? You keep on crying out persistently to God. In Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door shall be open. Paul is praying fervently. He's struggling. He's agonizing, if you will, on behalf of the church at Colossae. And for the church at Laodicea. Paul's never been there either, but he cares about him. And he believes that God hears his prayer. Now, Paul's not advocating worry here. Have I got any worriers in the room? Nobody wants to raise their hand. Oh, I got one. Okay. Got a few, all right. Some of you are like, I don't want to raise my hand because I'm worried about what people are going to think about me if I do. Okay. I got that. Okay. Paul's not advocating worrier here. Uh, the Bible never advocates worry. But it does hugely promote prayer. When is the last time you poured out your heart for someone in prayer? And it ought not just be in the emergencies of life. Moment by moment and day by day, we need to pray for those who we love. We need to pray that God is going to guide them and God is going to protect them and that God is going to use them and that God is going to do what only God can do because circumstances can change just like that. And we're always crying out to God on behalf of those whom we love. 
Listen, everything we do depends on God. But that's not an excuse for laziness. Let me, let me make that clear. Proverbs 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, but it gets the job done. 2 Peter 1.5 says, make every effort. Lean forward for just a minute. Lean forward, okay? Make every effort, he says. Thank you. Are you making every effort? Help me out there, Gary. I don't need those. Those aren't mine. Yeah. That's the order of service. All right. But Gary's making every effort. That wasn't planned, okay? He's like, I got to help this guy out, right? He needs me. But we ought to do that with, with life, okay? We ought to help one another. Make every effort, he says, okay? Galatians 6 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing. How many of you ever get tired? We all do sometimes. Let's not be weary in well-doing for in due season. In God's time, we'll reap a harvest if we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't quit. In Colossians 1.29, Paul says, I labor with all of his might, which so powerfully works in me, with God's power working in me. Here in chapter 2, Paul uses the same Greek word to tell the Colossians, I'm laboring, I'm struggling for you. Listen, as a pastor, I need your prayers. Turn to your neighbor and say, that guy up there on the stage, he really needs your prayers. I do. To be honest, you really need my prayers too. We need each other's prayers. As a parent, your kids need your prayers. And can I be honest with you, kids? Your parents need your prayers too. They don't have their act all figured out quite yet either. So why should we pray for another? How should we pray for one another? What are some specifics? I think we can fervently, that's good, yes. I think we can learn from what Paul prayed for this church not only because Paul is probably the greatest follower of Jesus Christ who ever walked the planet, but also because what he wrote down here in the Bible is the written Word of God. So how did Paul specifically pray for these people? What did he want to see happen in this church? Well, first of all, Paul said, I want your hearts to be encouraged. Question, how many of you love to be criticized? Oh, I just love it when I see her. She is so negative about me. I just love it. Oh, I love to be around him because he is such a criticizer. You don't do that, do you? It's like, yeah, you're in Walmart. There she is, aisle four. I'm going down aisle eight. I don't really need anything on aisle four. I'll come back there later, right? We don't like to be criticized. Now, sometimes we need some correction in our lives, okay? But we don't really like criticism. Life can be discouraging, can it not? But encouragement, it's like a breath of fresh air. Take a, take a deep breath with me. Go, <sighs> Encouragement is like that. Take a second to encourage the person sitting next to you, okay? Take a second. I'll help you out if you need some help. I'm glad I got to sit by you today. You're looking good. Thanks for sitting by me. 
You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. We'll get spiritual, okay? Nice shoes today. Let me say something, okay? We all like to be encouraged, do we not? Now, I got to be honest with you. I like to encourage people, but my wife says I'm cheesy. I know, Rob. Like, what? Yeah. I'm trying, but sometimes it just doesn't come. And sometimes I am cheesy, okay? I have to admit that. But we like to, we need to be encouraged. All kinds of people want encouragement. William Arthur Ward once said, Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will never forget you. We live in a world that's starving for encouragement. And we all need encouragement. They say that Abraham Lincoln carried with him a newspaper clipping stating that he was a great leader. If Abraham Lincoln needed that, I probably need that too. You probably do as well. And that Mark Twain once said, I could live for two months on a good compliment. Don't just look for ways to encourage one another. Pray for them. Pray for others you know to be encouraged. Pray for your husband. Lord knows he needs it, right? Pray for your wife. She needs it too. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for people you work with. Pray for people who you go to school with. Pray for people who get on your nerves. Pray for your pastor. Hopefully he doesn't get on your nerves more than most people. But pray for me, okay? I need you. Pray for your staff. Pray for your church. Okay, I'm going to do something really unusual this morning. We've never done this before, okay? I want everybody to get out your cell phone. Got a cell phone? Everybody get out your cell phone. Here's what I want you to do. If you got a smartphone, if you don't, I'll give you some more instructions in a minute. But if you have a camera on your phone, okay, if you got a camera on your phone, turn it toward you, take a selfie. All right. All right. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send that to me with your name on it, okay? What's your, my number, here's my number, okay? You ready? 270-300-3078, okay? 270-300-3078. Send that to me, okay? And when you send that to me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you specifically this week, okay? Now, if you don't send me one, I can't guarantee you anything, okay? I started the A's in the church directory on the first of the month. So if you're in the first part of the alphabet, you probably would. If you're not, you won't. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't have a smartphone. Well, give me a picture, okay? I'll stick it on my door if I need to, but... Uh, Pray. I want to pray for you, okay? Some of you may be guests today, or some of you are like, well, I haven't been here that long. I really need your picture and your name so I can remember it, okay? I'm not real good with names. I asked my wife five times what her name was before I ever remembered it, okay? So if I haven't remembered your name yet, it's okay, all right? I'll try to remember. 
All right, Terry, is that it? Okay, got you. All right, you got my number, all right. But a huge part of my vision for Northside is that we would be a place of encouragement. That when people walk inside these doors, whether black or white or rich or poor, or they look like they got their act together or they don't have a clue or they think like you or look like you or act like you or they're totally different than you, that we're going to love those people. We're going to help them to feel like they have a home here, a church that cares about them. And not just when they come in the building, but we want to get out there in the community. We are, the Bible says, ambassadors, representatives for Jesus Christ, as though He were making His appeal through us. And so when we're out at the shopping mall, assuming it's still going to be open the next few years, anyway, or at Walmart or wherever we are, we're representing Jesus at work. We're representing Jesus at school. We're representing Jesus in our community. Wherever you go, you represent Jesus Christ. And we want to touch people with the love of Christ. I want it to be difficult to live in Hardin County and not know that Northside Baptist Church cares about you. Because we want to be a church that cares, that loves on people. Paul's goal for this church was that their hearts would be encouraged and be united together in love. Say in love with me. In love. That's not talking about ooey-gooey romantic type love, okay? It's about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to love one another. Sometimes we're hard to love. Sometimes we don't agree with one another. Sometimes we do get frustrated and aggravated, but we still got to love one another because that's what we're commanded to do. Here's another part of my vision for Northside. It's the next part of Paul's go for the church. He says, I want you to know Christ in an intimate way. We don't just want to be nice people. We want to be people who are growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That if you come here on Sundays and you plug into what we ask you to plug into, that you will grow by the Holy Spirit in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why uh, several weeks ago I started asking you to cry out to God passionately and say, God, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been before. Because we don't want to just be nice, sweet, shallow, superficial Christians we want to be nice, sweet people who have a love for Jesus Christ and a love for one another. Does that make sense? The next part of Paul's goal for this church was that they stay away from false doctrine. Start with verse 2 and read with me through verse 4. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, having been knit together, united in love, attaining to all the wealth, to the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding, persuasive arguments. Paul is writing to a church that had some people in it who were being deceived. They had people worshiping tradition, people worshiping angels, and people devaluing the greatness of Jesus Christ. Some of these arguments were persuasive and fine-sounding, but they were also wrong. 
there's a world out there that's still deceiving people and is still creeping into the church. They are telling you that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. They're telling you that the Bible is is a pretty good book, but there's a lot of myths and a lot of fairy tales, and there's a whole lot of things in the New Testament that are just way out of date. You don't need to follow it. They're saying that Jesus Christ was a great man, but he's not the only way to heaven. They are selling us a pack of lies, and a lot of people in churches all over America are believing it. There's a Greek word for that. It's called hogwash. That's not really Greek. That's more like Arkansas slang. Anyway, it's not true. God has given us His Word that we might learn it and grow in it and grow in Christ as we follow Him. Paul had one more request for this church. He actually presents it as a challenge to them, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted. When I saw that rooted word, you know what I thought of? Our children's ministry. That's their theme, rooted. And we want our children to be rooted, not only our children, but all of us to be rooted, and he continues, and now being built up in Christ, in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. Here's a question. Are you firmly established in your faith? Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? Don't let anyone deceive you. There is a world out there that wants to deceive you into believing the lies. Go to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. There is a world out there that is deceiving people. They're telling us that Jesus Christ is not really the way, the truth, and life. He's just one good option. They're telling us that the Bible really isn't the Word of God. It's just a pretty good ancient book that could be compared to a lot of other good ancient books. They're telling us that, you know, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, one day you'll go to heaven because God wouldn't let anybody go to hell. It's not the truth. we got to believe what God's Word says. Now, here's some good news. Here's why we do what we do. Verse 9. For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness, say all with me, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus Christ was fully God. When He came to this earth, He became fully man, but He was still fully God. Fully God, yet fully man. Fully human, Jesus Christ. And in Him, verse 10, You have been made complete. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're complete in Christ. Now, that does not mean that you have arrived. That does not mean like, you know what, I'm complete in Christ. Look at me. No, what that means is that Christ is your sufficiency. Christ is your hope. Christ is your all in all. You're complete in Him. 
you don't have to have a relationship with a guy, girls, in order to be complete. You don't have to have a relationship with a a girl, guys, in order to be complete. You don't have to have this nice big house and these amazing cars and 2.5 children fulfilling the American dream in order to be complete. You are complete in Christ. You don't have to have the stuff. You don't have to have what the world says you got to have to be complete. All you need is Jesus You're complete in Christ. Verse 9 continues. And he, that's Jesus, is the head over all rule and authority. Not you, not me, not the government, but Jesus. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And don't just know what you believe. Be grateful for what you have. Paul said that here in the last part of verse 7, to be overflowing with gratitude. Not just a little bit of gratitude, but overflowing with it. Suppose you were to go to a party, and uh, it was in a crowded room. Yesterday, I went to a family reunion, and there were like 50 people crammed into a room that should have seated about 30. And what happens when you're in a crowded room, and you got a drink that's overflowing? What happens? You get bumped by somebody, and what happens? You, you spill a little bit, right? And, and so, you get bumped again, you spill a little bit more, Right? That happens with us, sorry, Gary, out there in the world. He's our guy that cleans things up. It'll dry. I'll try not to hit the cords. But it happens to us in life. What is inside of you, when you bump shoulders with the world, what's going to happen? It's going to spill out, right? So if you are filled with the Holy Spirit... The joy, the love, the peace, the patience, all of that. Somebody bumps into you, it's like, oh, yeah, hey, that's good. Yeah, yeah, hey, praise God, hey. Everywhere you go, you just kind of spill a little Jesus on them, okay? But if you're filled with angst and frustration and anger and you just can't take it anymore and you get bumped, what happens? Comes out, right? And sometimes, to be honest, we just want to lose it. Right? Need a shower? We're a Baptist church. We don't normally sprinkle around here, but But that's how we live, do we not? What's inside of you? comes out. And the Bible says, be filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit because He loves you. And He wants to empower you for living moment by moment and day by day in this world. Amen.